You are listening to Destination MTB on Mountain Bike Radio. Hey, Mountain Bike Radio listeners, this is Ben. I'm just cutting in quick with a little explanation of the advertisement that you're going to hear shortly. Don't worry, it's not long, but it's from Epic Rides. And if you're a fan of Mountain Bike Radio for any length of time, you know that I'm a big fan of Epic Rides. I've done their races, and they're doing really cool stuff. That whole gang over there is great to work with, and uh, I really appreciate their support. So I would appreciate if you head over to epicrides.com and even send them an email. You can send them an email to info at epicrides.com and just send them a thank you for supporting Mountain Bike Radio because it's allowing us to do even more cool stuff, keep the good things rolling, and uh, it's awesome. So here's a quick message. So thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Hey, I'm Todd Wells, a SRAM TLD and Cliff Bar sponsored pro mountain biker and 2016 Epic Rides Off-Road Series Men's Champion. I'm stoked for the 2017 season of racing and parting at the Whiskey Off-Road, Grand Junction Off-Road, and Carson City Off-Road races. All three of those offer big rides, world-class trail systems, and they're right out the door from downtown. Join me and thousands of others for a weekend of bikes, free live music, and plenty of bike industry shenanigans. Epic Rides events are known to fill up early. Get more info and register today at epicrides.com. Hey, this is Ben, and uh, Matt is here too. He might be chiming in, Matt from Just Riding Along. And we are on location in Cable, Wisconsin, at the headquarters of the Schwamigan Fat Tire Festival with the man behind it himself, Gary Crandall. Gary, thank you for uh, inviting us in again. Yeah, thanks for uh, stopping in. I don't get a lot of visitors in my office, especially in the winter, so this is a nice surprise. Yeah, so we, what was it, Monday we came by? Yeah. Yeah. So Monday we stopped in and we ended up spending an hour and a half with Gary. Um, it was, it was like sitting down, you know, he might get red in the face or something, but it's like sitting down with your grandpa that knows everything about the mountain biking community, <laughs> you know? So he, he's able to share experiences and just, he knows, uh, we picked up a picture. It was, uh, you were right. It was Jeff Hall, by the way. Right. Um, we picked up a, an old picture from sometime in the late eighties, probably early nineties. And uh, I thought it was another rider, and he looked at it and knew within two seconds the exact rider. So he was able to uh, pick it out from a huge picture of 2,000 people. So he, it's interesting to sit down with somebody that knows that much, has that much experience, is really, I mean, I'm sure you'll find that out pretty quickly. He's pretty level-headed and uh, <laughs> doesn't get excited too easily. Um, but I thought it was a perfect opportunity. We're here in Cable. We're at the headquarters. Uh, what a what better opportunity to sit down with Gary. He's a mountain bike hall of fame. Mountain Bike Hall of Fame, yeah. That was my 15 minutes of fame. That, yeah. was, that was a great experience. Yep. So what we're going to do, we'll talk about, we'll go way back to the history of the race uh, and just go from there and see where it goes. Sound good? Sounds great. Okay. All right. So we're going to start with uh, the beginning. A lot of people think you're the person that came up with the idea. So tell us what the real story is and give us an idea of what's going on there. Well, and indeed, contrary to popular belief, uh, I did not think up this concept. Uh, it was five of my other buddies who uh, I worked with or had an association with in the cable area back in the early 80s. Uh, I actually rode in the first Shawamigan 40, 27 riders. So I always point out to people I've, I've got a top 20 finish in the 40, which is pretty impressive until you look that there's only seven people behind me. And... Um, 
But I was the uh, self-employed guy with seasonal downtime on my hands that could actually operate a manual typewriter and knew how to type a decent letter. And I kind of raised my hand and said, I, you know, I'd like to help out with that. And so I started directing it in uh, 1984, uh, the second year of the event, and this will be uh, our 35th year. So I was 32 at the time. And I'm collecting Social Security and on <laughs> Medicare now. So I, I may be the longest term oldest uh, fat type fat bike race director. Yeah. I'd like somebody to check that out and find out yeah, if that's we'll a title. To, we'll have to we have Matt here, he's doing research. He's like the <laughs> you're like the production guy that we we wanted to have. Um what was it like back then here? Was it because right now to give people a picture, um Hayward Cable, the whole I mean, just go to a map and Google it, but the whole area is very Everybody comes here to enjoy the outdoors, whether it's cycling, uh, mountain biking, uh, fishing, cross-country skiing, you name it. So was it like that back then, too? Well, yeah, although uh, mountain biking was a non- what I always refer to as a non-traditional use of the forest. I mean, people would come up here to, uh, to hunt and fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly snowmobiling was popular in the winter. Um, Prior to uh, mountain biking hitting the area, cross-country skiing, of course, was a, yeah. was a huge thing in the area with uh, Tony Wise, who was the originator and founder of uh, Telemark Lodge and the American Berkebiner and instrumental in uh, creating the World Lopez Ski League. We, as uh, active sports people, saw similar um, situations uh, with mountain biking that happened with the cross-country skiing in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, huge growth in the sport, uh, new sport. People got into the equipment. They got into going out and finding adventure out in the woods. Um, and they were attracted to uh, special events, and, and those special events grew. I mean, the Berkey had a very similar growth pattern to what uh, Shawamigan Fat Tire Festival did. And when one of, one of my buddies, my founding buddies, came up with the concept of a bike race on the Berkey Trail, um, I don't think we knew it would actually be to the status that it is now, uh, but we were pretty sure it couldn't, it couldn't miss. Yeah. You know? was, with that, was Hayward, I mean, this whole area, Hayward Cable, were they inviting with that? Because right now, if you were to go start a, a, a mountain bike race in any town, like there's a lot of hurdles to jump, right? Was was this area into it, or did you have to do a lot of convincing that hey, this is the way to go? Let, let's do this. Well, here was the here was the economic spin on this. Um, uh, Cross country skiing brought a winter business uh, to the area. Certainly, alpine skiing at Telemark, but also cross country skiing, uh, where the winter business was pretty down. Uh, we picked the second weekend after Labor Day. Uh, and that's, that's rolling up the sidewalks time in Northern Wisconsin. Okay. I mean, kids are back to school. Um, uh, literally campgrounds are shutting down. Uh, nobody's coming up here in September. And we picked the second weekend after Labor Day to, um, host the Shawamigan Fat Tire Festival. And, and it, it ends up being one of the busiest weekends right. uh, out of the whole year because the, the whole dynamic of mountain biking is, um, it wasn't just road biking in the nice hot summer season when the roads were dry and, and uh, the temperature was warm. I mean, this was a from spring breakup when things started drying out until literally until hunting season. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they started shooting in the woods uh, during the gun deer season, you could ride your mountain bike in that six-month period. So it really created another uh, 
recreational season. And we live and die by the people that come up here and, and uh, uh, recreate and, and uh, stay in the hotels and go to the restaurants and and buy the knickknacks in the gift shops. And this was just another reason for people to come up here. So we're, we're pretty proud of that, that that's, that's a big part of our legacy. Yeah. So another question about the, the area. In the, in the time that, you, you know, when you started that to, to now, has it maintained that same uh, feeling? I know there's more people, obviously, but does it maintain that same feeling or is it more? Because sometimes what happens is you lose the, um, you know, you become maybe a little too uh, corporate or too city or you, you lose the vibe that you had. Mm-hmm. And right now, to me, the vibe here is still pretty, pretty uh, grassroots. Type of thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what do you feel? T- talk about how it's how it's kind of. Well, you know, we're one of those areas that uh, uh, we're blessed with a huge amount of public land. I mean, there's 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 literally tens of thousands of acres, uh, national forest land. Of course, we named the event after the national forest up here, the Shawamigan. Uh, although, in fact, we actually don't go into the Shawamigan; yeah. uh, it's all around us. But there's also a, a, a many acres of Bayfield and Sawyer County forestry land. And um, I think one of the things that kept that vibe going is small town population. So so people basically would come to the event, uh, they'd recreate, and then they'd go home, and then we'd still have the woods to ourselves. Right. And so that was a good thing. But the, uh, you know, the really the, the huge sidebar to Shawamigan Fat Tire Festival as a, 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 a an event weekend, a special event weekend once a year, was the development of the Shawamigan Area Mountain Bike Association. Because I always told people there was a great impact when people came to the event for the event weekend, the bigger impact was that people came up to train for the event. Mm -hmm. And the development of the Shawamigan Area Mountain Bike Association, a.k.a. CAMBA, um, developing over 300, and it's well over 300 miles of marked and mapped and maintained uh, 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 mountain bike trails now, that's really the big impact. So all of a sudden, it wasn't just the special event that drew people here, but it was the fact that they could come up and ride their bikes and, and enjoy that. And now, obviously, with the advent of fat biking and fat bike grooming, um, it's literally a year-round thing. Yeah. Now you yeah. have the Camba Fat Trails. Yeah. Camba fat, fat Bike yeah. Camba. And, yeah. So let's talk about the race. Uh, first year you rode it, 27 people. What happened after that in those early years? Well, we grew really fast, okay. and um, uh, you know, we were just kind of boy. Have was it marketing, or did just word spread like wildfire? We we it, it, take the surfing analogy. We we caught the wave that was coming uh, that started in uh, Marin County, uh, the admitted birthplace of uh, of uh, mountain biking, uh, with all the originators out there, uh, Crested Butte. Uh, which I think Crusty Butte Fat Tire Bike Week is probably the only uh, off-road event that's older than the Shawamigan. Similar uh, development uh, in a small town and that r- brought people there. But we had an event before anybody else even thought of events. I mean, we had an event before they uh, production mountain bikes were just coming out. Right. I mean, uh, yeah, looking 20- at some of these old pictures, I mean, there's. There's a lot of homemade bikes yeah. there, yeah, you know, yeah. where people, it's the old clunker uh, concept that, uh, you know, the history of mountain biking is taking, taking the old single speed clunkers and, and beefing up the brakes and, and welding on maybe some gussets so your frame doesn't fall apart. And, um, 
So 27 the first year, I think we were at 89 the second year, almost tripled it. Um, uh, we were short of 300 in the third year. I mean, we, we tripled the first couple of years and then we doubled and we, we were up to 750 riders in, uh, in just a few years. Okay. So it boom grew. We were, we were classically, uh, the right guys doing the right thing in the right place at the right time. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you're 35, maybe 36, a few years in. Yep. And you have all these people. Right. You're new to race directing? Did you do anything before there? Like knew, any event type of coordination or anything? No, nothing. I, no. I, I, this actually was a journey for me to learn what my what my personal skills were. Okay. Uh, uh, I'd, I'd moved to northern Wisconsin from uh, uh, Madison. Had uh, uh, lived all over the Midwest when I was growing up, but settled in Madison where I went to school, went to the School of Business, just hung out in Madison. Uh, moved up north, first time I'd really been up north in the woods. Um, I was soon to learn, uh, the, the organizational skills it took and, and really, you know, ironically, my, my business degree was in personnel management that doesn't kind of develop your style, but a lot of what, uh, what event direction is, is you're, you're managing personnel, whether it's, uh, whether it's your staff, your volunteers, the community, uh, the riders that come up here, um, I found that I had some pretty good spatial capacity to put things in order and come up with punch lists and get things done in a timely fashion. And um, that's really important when you're running a special event. Yeah. Uh, that's not to say that in the early years we didn't have some of those uh, WTF moments where it was like, oh, we forgot to do something. Right. And that's yeah. what I was getting to is you have, you know, a few years in and you have 500 people because at that threshold it becomes from under, you know, you go from the – the grassroots to right. like okay, this is a real deal. So real deal, deal in that, yeah, real deal in in it. A lot was of stress, very difficult. Mm-hmm. I, I I remember when we were uh, we were still at Lakewoods. We uh, finished the event at Lakewoods Resort, which okay. is e- east of uh, Cable, in the first five years. Okay. And ironically, this was the time that Telemark, which was a, a center of activity in our area, and Lakewoods also was, but Telemark had the ski hill and the Berkebiner. Telemark had gone through its bankruptcy. Okay. So it was probably good we finished someplace else, or our first crisis would have been that right. our event the site had canceled. gone ban- right. bankrupt. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the first five years, and we got up to 750 people and I, I always used to have this meeting right after the event was over to like to have it like a critique meeting mm-hmm. and I remember we were all about ready to kill each other yeah. I mean because we all had felt the impact of all these people that had come and, and all of a sudden there was a whole lot more to do mm-hmm. uh, and a whole lot more that had to get done in a timely fashion yeah. and a whole lot more uh, people uh, relying on things going right. Yeah, it and, seems uh, it seems like you get over that. I don't know. Let's say three to five hundred people, and then the work and the organization is exponential from there. Very That's much so. Seems, okay. Yeah, yeah. And it was at that time, and so the staff was was uh, the key staff was let's say X, and uh, it didn't take me long to get three uh, X on my key staff. Okay. I mean, I. I, I sorted things out where people would do, uh, instead of being in charge of awards, food stops, and maybe course marking, yeah, those won. were all separate functions. Okay. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the strength of this event is the length of service of my staff because I, I have 
a number of people that have between 20 and 35 years with me yeah. wow. uh, that have been with me since the very beginning who have done their jobs and we've tweaked their jobs. And, and um, um, that's kind of where that organizational skill came in. And it was always about how can, how can we make it better, uh, not only for the participants, but how can we make it for better for us because we're working it. So what can we do different that, that makes that job a little bit easier? Right. And that's been part of the fun of uh, managing it all and those years. the other aspect, too, is you didn't have a model. Because a lot of times the other oh, events no. will pop up that you can look at some other race or some yeah. other situation. How did you – was that just the process of going through to kind of develop that model or did you kind of – look at it consciously and say, okay, this is where I want to see it in five years. You know, the early year, especially this is where you want to see it. Or did you kind of go each year to year? Well, we actually did have a model and the model was, uh, Tony Wise's development of the American Burke Okay. Tony, Tony was the king of hospitality. Now the interesting thing, and Tony obviously, uh, had some, uh, financial management, um, uh, dynamics. It didn't work out the best for him because he, 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 he pretty much, he pretty much lost things, um, uh, financially, but Tony was the king of hospitality. He was into great customer service with his, uh, um, with his event, um, um, uh, making sure that, that the people that came had a great time, making sure that the volunteers were re- recognized, making sure that the community benefited from what he did. So we saw all of that that happened in the Berkebiner, and um, we kind of naturally used that model um, of customer service and having a great time and, and, uh, trying to, you know, have some entertainment and, uh, and also some fun, also some fun, uh, you know, tangential to the racing. So we, we kind of followed that. What we didn't follow from Tony is to let it, uh, get, uh, out of hand financially. Mm-hmm. We didn't make a whole lot of money early, but we made sure that we made money so that we could perpetuate the race. So, and the, the key guys that uh, were in the event uh, were instrumental in, in some of the growth and development of the American Berkebiner. So, so that was great skills. And those were the people that I learned from right. um, how, how to do the promotion, yeah. you know, you, where, where to send the newspaper and how to do the posters and all right. of that. And stuff. back then it was, that's a lot of on the ground work. I mean, right now we can just post out some you oh, know, yeah. social media. Then you were beating the ground to get some. I have fond Exposure. memories of uh, going to the local print shop and, and, and they would print out the text for the Fat Tracks newspaper and you'd actually, <coughs> you'd, you'd cut it with a, with a exacto knife and you'd, you'd rub uh, uh, hot beeswax on the bottom and you'd literally stick it on the pages. And, I mean, that's, that's where we started. Yeah. And my first letters that I wrote to sponsors, I wrote uh, with the manual typewriter. I, I still have some of those letters and I go back and I think, holy man, you'd never send this out now. I mean, because, you know, there's type overs and whiteouts <laughs> right. and, and uh, yeah. carb, carbon strike overs. And, and uh, yeah, it's different. And there was no email. I mean, you, right. you didn't have an email group of your volunteer groups or your, or your uh, staff. I mean, yeah. you literally would call, call people everybody. up on the phone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So a lot of changes in that, even with the development of the Internet. I remember the first time. And I can't remember what it was called, but when we had our first presence online and, and they had some big, long thing you had to type in to go find it. And, and uh, of course, then now it's all changed. Now oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So what point, when did you hit um, the point where were you committed for the long term right from the beginning? Or was it something you say, well, you know, maybe to your wife or family or whatever, you're like, well, we'll just try it out a little bit more, see how it keeps going. Or were you like, I'm going to be doing this in 35 years. This is what I want to do. 
Well, I never, uh, seriously, none of us ever look that far far forward. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, we jokingly refer to this uh, uh, area that we live in up here as the land of six part-time jobs. (laughs) And uh, uh, I was self-employed. My wife was self-employed as a... As an artist and an art therapist, we ran a gift shop at Telemark for 25 years. I was able to, um, I rented a couple of spots from Telemark for many years. I had the gift shop on one side of the hall and the fat tire office was on the other side of the hall. So I could actually go into the gift shop and in those slow (laughs) downtimes, I would just work on fat tire stuff. That's what I would work on. And that, that it was a good benefit because it kept the gift shop open for the potential sale. But then it kept me occupied. I wasn't there twiddling my thumbs. I was lining up sponsors and and uh, ordering event supplies and organizing the event. And and uh, so, as a self employed person, that really helped fill in my time and make that. Uh, you know, I spent more time working on the fat t- Shawamigan fat tire race. Um, the, the gift shop pretty much managed itself. So, right. so never really thought. Well, we'll try it for a certain number of years. It was. It was getting busier and busier, uh, more people. Uh, of course, I started out making next to nothing, and it it literally turned into my profession, mm-hmm. which uh, if you want to relocate to northern Wisconsin, you better bring your job with you, you know, unless, <laughs> yeah. unless you're- Unless you're ready you, to make something, figure it out pretty quickly. Yeah, unless you're into cutting pulp wood, or if you're in the medical profession, that helps, or real estate seems to do well, or the trades- um, so for me, I was lucky that I, I literally fell into it and it turned into my profession. And I, I mean, I couldn't be happier with yeah. that. I mean, cause what a, what a great result. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of intrinsic rewards of doing this. Yeah. So. How long did it take from the beginning until you actually paid yourself something that was like, okay, I can dump one of these eight part-time jobs I have. Well, uh, well, actually, a lot of the part-time jobs are just volunteer things, you know. So, so you didn't get paid paid yeah, for yeah. them anyway. So that makes it even yeah, yeah, yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. Getting paid is another is, right. ano- is another trick. Because um, I, I'm asking because from a race director perspective, I oh, have yeah? some experience directing races. Oh yeah. And the first question is why are you charging so much? You're, the, people are always going to ask. Yeah. You. It doesn't matter if it's cheap or not. They're going to ask you why you charge why, so yeah, much money. Yeah. Yeah. And something you said earlier is. It's not so much that I'm trying to make all this money all at once. It's that I need to set this price so we're not losing money so it's something sustainable. Right. People don't understand that a business, a lot of times small business, it's just about sustaining yourself long enough to like get to that point. Right. 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 And I just want to get your thoughts on what, you know, how you got by and what it was what you felt like those first years, you, you know, you're you're young, you're enthusiastic, but you're right. not getting all that money, and it's it right. can get grind. It can be a grind. Well, everybody that was involved threw something <laughs> in. Uh, Mike Cooper, uh, who again, Mike worked at uh, Telemark, but he uh, he was one of the guys seeing all these special events. He started Cooper Sports Timing, which was a really um, uh, very successful timing business, which actually got transferred to uh, some other uh, buddies of mine that turned into finish line uh, sports. And and um, even today, there's remnants of what started as Cooper Sports Timing. So he was way ahead of his time. Way ahead of his time. Yeah, yeah Cooper was, he he had the first 400 frame per second video camera. Right, okay. That he, the year he got it, they actually had a... Uh, they actually had a photo finish at the Burger. Oh, really? It's yeah, I mean, he good, actually yeah, used awesome. it, to, and so that's he, good marketing too. So he time he time you know 
He timed the burg. He timed our event. He, I don't ever recall that he ever sent us a bill for what he did. Okay. Uh, Tom Kelly, who was uh, uh, Tony Wise's PR guy for many, many years, and Tom is uh, well-known in the skiing world. He's um, uh, the U.S. Skiing and Snowboarding Association's communications director and has been for, for decades. Okay. And he's... He, you know, he wrote the early press releases and took the photos and really never charged us for the photos. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you would have had a huge expense. So in those early years, we all donated a lot of time. Uh, and then I did get to the point, it was probably after, I would say, probably three or four years where I said, hey, guys, I'm spending a lot of time doing this. I, and I, and I, I have a vague recollection that I got just a flat fee. It might have been mm-hmm. a couple thousand dollars. Right. Which back in the eighties, that yeah, was a good chunk. That was a lot of dough. Yeah, you know, you could buy yourself a half a pinto wagon for two thousand dollars. Well, and here too, it's a little bit cheaper here than like living in a city. For a little bit cheaper, but um, yeah, yeah, but you you got heating costs. You know? Well, exactly. But, yeah, but so anyway, that that grew, and then uh, uh, I always, you know, kind of jokingly said some of the couple of the best decisions our our group ever made uh, was our name. Shawamigan Fat Tire Festival because it's a name when you say it people recognize it because they don't yeah. know what it means. Yeah. Well, and first they have to learn how to say it. They have to learn. Then once how to they say learn it. how to say it, they remember it. Yeah, yeah. And there's a great long uh, history uh, that involves French traders and the Ojibwa uh, language up here, which is um, quite a colorful language. Uh, that t- the words tell a story, yeah. and uh, but one of the other great decisions they made was to hire me as the director because I needed a job and I did a good job at right. it, and and you know here I am years later, and and you know it's I mean I'm, I'm here it is the middle of February I'm I'm in in the office working oh yeah yeah and yeah yeah at, and this is all part of working even yeah doing the yeah interview. exactly yeah. exactly yeah. it's a good job yeah Especially so, the, the so it, it took a few years to yeah. to actually where it was well that was worth. You know, I'm, I'm getting paid for what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, but it probably comes out to 10, 12 bucks an hour. Yeah. You know, you yeah, know yeah. which is probably better than I could do if I went to work <laughs> at one of the local businesses, yeah. you know. Yeah. No, it's just, you know, like today's age, it's common for a lot of people now, now, now. So like when people, I, I just want to share that story of when people do it and the listeners realize like everything's not now it's it took you before you were like okay I, we know exactly what we're doing we have our people lined up it's probably 10 years in and you're like a getting to the point where you now you're com- can sleep at night all year maybe well you know what happened is you started uh, developing procedures for doing things mm-hmm. and one you of my to. you have to and and one of my uh, one of my personal event philosophies that uh, um is ingrained in this event is, and along with, uh, and of course that came out of uh, setting the limits on the event. And we should talk about that when, what yeah, precipitated absolutely. that and why that happened. But, um, but one of the things is y- you want to make it sustainable, both for your, your staffing situation, your financial situation, and your on the ground, on the trail situation. Uh, you want to make it fun. Mm-hmm. I go back to that year when we had 700 people and, and we didn't have fun that year and we literally were angry at each other. It took me a few years to redevelop that to where we get done and we're all just high five and it was like, well, that was just yeah. about perfect. I mean, and you can't have a perfect year. Uh, we've had some events pull off with all the things that we have to do that were as near, as near perfect as they could be. Mm-hmm. And 
there's such a huge amount of um, intrinsic satisfaction when you're a part of a team that does really well. Right. I mean, it's kind of like winning the Super Bowl because mm-hmm. all these people came, you had some obstacles, you got around them, you solved problems before people knew you had problems. I mean, that's that's how you want to run an event. Yeah. Where you're where you're all exhausted by the end of the weekend, but you're excited for next year. You want to do it next rather year. Rather than yeah. just like, oh yeah. man, we have to get started again. Everybody handing in their pink slips and saying right. because that's the first question I ask everybody when I send them their critique. I say, Well, I'm gonna be back next year. How about you? Mm-hmm. And uh very low turnover. Very low turnover in the staff and, and uh that's in the community takes uh such ownership of it because they're part of that too. You know, right. these oh, volunteer yeah. groups yep. that come out and you pay them a group fee and give them shirts and, and uh, recognize their efforts and, and they become part of that whole family that includes the participants and the volunteers right. and, the, and the staff. So yeah, it's one big happy Shawami family. <laughs> How about the, the racers early on? I know over the years you've had, you could name an entire room full of lists. Oh yeah. But in the early years, was it more of recreational riders for a while or did a lot of the top riders jump in, see that as something that they, a destination they wanted to do and jump in right away? Right. So the, the, the professional racing all happened out West and in the mountain States. And, um, uh, you know, and again, back to one of our event philosophies, we never gave a cash purse. We never, we never had a cash purse. We never wanted a cash purse. You know, my philosophy was is if I had $10,000 more, I'd give myself a raise. I'd give my office assistant a raise who's been with me for 25 years. I'd do something nicer for the volunteers. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'd, I'd, I'd hire a better band. Yeah. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd try to You spread. know, that's not always a popular opinion, though. No, I understand that. Because if I were to say yeah. that now with some of my races, I'd get hell for that. Well, no, I understand that. Yeah. Well, it, it, to us, it was important to uh, draw a crowd, not necessarily draw uh, all of the top racers in the right. world. Right. And the only way you're going to do that is by having a cash purse. So yeah. for us, it was the mass participation of it. Yeah. And, like you want to uh, focus on the that 90% as opposed yeah. to the, the in the 10%. grassroots in yeah. the grassroots right. concept. That notwithstanding, uh, people like uh, Joe Murray, who uh, was a top uh, rider on uh, Gary Fisher's team, um, he came out a couple of years. Um, uh, the Ross Indians, who were one of the, the first uh, professional teams, um, uh, Joe Sloop, Casey Kunselman, there was one one more guy, I can't remember his name. They came out and, and raced the event. Um, certainly a lot of top regional riders. Uh, top pros came out because they uh, they knew that it wasn't a real technical course. It's a mm-hmm. it's a power course, so it favors a, a really fit rider, not necessarily somebody has a lot of technical skills. Yeah, it's basically a ski trail all the way from Hayward to Cable. Well, ski trail, two track, forest okay. road, so not not any twisty, windy single track descents because you can't do that with two thousand Ex- people, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So um, so Greg Lamont shows up, you know, and he's he's basically kind of coaxed into it by uh, one of our early champions, Mark Fries, who was mm-hmm. from from Lacrosse and. And uh, Fry's uh, trained with Lamond and Jeff Bradley, who was uh, on the Seven Eleven team, many time national champion. Okay. Bradley Bradley's got a cabin up here now. He's okay. he's a frequent there's flyer. A, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, here Jeff Bradley. You know, I mean, uh, one of the very well known national champions. You know, I, I just saw him last weekend. He was mm-hmm. up. He was up for a ski race. Um, 
So they kind of goaded Le Mans into coming. And then all of a sudden, the most famous cyclist in the world right. shows up on your start yeah. line. You know? And what did um, you think then? Were you think did you did you expect something like that eventually? Or was it like, wow, well, now is this is really cool? You know, I heard he was coming. And this was ninety, uh, so this was uh, a few years into it. I heard he was coming. Heard he was coming. Never broadcasted out mm -hmm. uh, marketing wise because I wasn't going to believe it until until right. I actually saw him. Right. And I distinctly remember I was in my office at Telemark in the Coliseum building, which is now uh, torn down. And I remember looking out the window and I thought, "There's Greg Lamont. He he." arrived a couple days early and i thought how cool is that yeah how super cool is that super nice guy. gives you a little motivation yeah yeah he actually reached for his wallet to pay pay for his entry oh, really fee. Yeah. yeah yeah and uh and somebody said well how'd you get lamond here and i said well you know i gave him a sandwich when he came over and a <laughs> bottle of chippewa water who's been our water sponsor yeah. and he was good with that yeah. you know and uh well as it turned out lamond was here um uh 90, 91, and one other year following. But 90 and 91 were like the most torrential, worst weather. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot of pictures around here. Worst weather scenario that you can have. It's where we learned about how to run a race when the weather's not right. Right. And it's lessons that we carried forward, you know, from that. Actually, it was those years that we, uh, on the fly, we shortened the 40 to 35 miles. It's, okay. uh, we're, it's blessedly a convoluted course on the north side, so you can actually whack off sections of it pretty quickly and remark things. And um, But then we learned about wear and tear on um, on the things like the Berkey Trail, where they mm -hmm. spent a lot of time growing grass on the Berkey Trail. Oh, absolutely. So that's actually what precipitated our setting, self-imposing our own limit. We just mm -hmm. said, we're going to set a limit because – uh, we're concerned about the sustainability of the trail and the wear and tear on the volunteers and the riders and the whole evac situation when you got a lot of people dropping out and how do you get them back to the finish line? And Have you had and, a situation like that where you had uh, maybe midway through the race, say you had 2,000 people, a big a big event by this point, and uh, where there was bad weather or something where you had to evacuate a lot of people? Well, you had to go there yet, or is that uh, ninety and ninety one? We we we, we we had a system set up to evacuate people from mm -hmm. the food stops, and you you adjusted on the fly as people dropped out because it, it just the equipment couldn't hold up to it. Right, exactly. I mean, chains were breaking, and and uh, you know, if, if there was nothing with anything lube left. Uh, I remember one of our more humorous post event letters was in ninety and. The, guy sent me a picture of himself he was a mess after the event and and the, and the letter said dude i cleaned out my bottom bracket and there was a worm in it <laughs> you know and another guy told me his socks weighed 12 pounds you know and i'm thinking well you gotta be ready for the bad weather and and so now we have a you know we have a procedure for worst case weather you know what what happens when the weather changes or we've had some huge blowdowns a uh, week before the event. Yeah. I mean, I mean, big, like big trees, big trees. Like it would take an hour to cut just a path through one. A couple of years ago, I hired loggers with a <laughs> processor okay. to come in, you know, to cut these jack sawed strawed trees that were across the Berkey trail. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and that's, that's where you get this community spirit. Cause we worked, we use the Berkebiner trail or some sections we can get off of, but that's kind of how we have to get out of Hayward. And we worked really closely with the Berkebiner uh, to uh, 
to clear up the trail. It had to be cleared up. It, there was a time time factor because our event was coming up. Right. So, you know, that's all. That's all part of, uh, I guess, uh, damage control, crisis yeah. management, which is the fun part. Of, for me, why would you do this for thirty five years? It's different every year. Yeah. Every it, single year is different. Not just every year. It's every. Day. Every day is different. Because you could be perfect yeah. all the way up to, like the Berkey's dealing with right now. Yeah. Conditions were, were pretty good this whole yeah. week. Yeah. Now they're dealing with 50 degrees, so they have to completely, yeah. you know, scramble to kind of figure things out. And yeah. it looks like the weather might turn out to be okay at the end of the week, so who knows? Well, you know, and they've got a professional crew that has, you know, they're 44 years into it. So right. they, they've, they've faced every every situation that you can imagine and you draw on those resources, then you're really thankful that you have a long-term crew yeah. and, and a hardworking so community that can help you out. So you're using them to let them, let, let, let them go through the experience and you learn a little bit from them. I, I watch, I watch, <laughs> oh, I, I watch other events all the time. Yeah. I, I love to, I volunteer for every event. We have a lot of events up here, uh, bike races, ski races, running races. And uh, there's probably isn't one that I don't volunteer uh, for. And I'm always really observant. And I, I pick up positive things that maybe I can implement in my own event. And I pick up things and I say, well, you know, that you, this could have been done a little better. And, yeah. and, and I never hesitate when I volunteer for an event to, to send them my comments after the event's over. It's, here's, here's what I saw. You know, mm -hmm. this might be a way Just to help you. And that's how I, that's how I ended up uh, really tweaking the operations of the Schwamigan because my my key staff and all the organizational groups that help out they all get a critique form uh, the week after the event. That's the first thing I send out before I pay anybody. Before I send any thank yous out, I say here. Tell, tell me what went right. Tell me what went wrong. Tell me how, what were some stories you heard. Right. And I've always uh, tried to um, draw that information out of people while it's fresh in their minds. And, and you just, you study those, study those critiques and say, here, here's a thing we can do different to make it, uh, to make it better next year. And yeah. you make it better. People notice. Did you ever have a memorable critique that sticks in your mind over the years? Boy, there's been so many of them. Like know. one, like what's what's one of the most that you always go back to? Yeah, you know that's that's a very good question. Or maybe that's it, changed, like you know, that really changed you the most. Yeah, like that, that one moment where you're like, that's you know a good question. But after 35 years, it's kind of a jumble in the brain, you know. So. Uh, so what's one of the biggest things that you learned over this process with all those people that you worked with? So you've, you've grown, you know, you've had the staff with you the whole time and you, you know, every year you might have a new person for this or right. your gang gets bigger, right? So what have you learned over that time from those people? So I can tell you that uh, I, I, my management style has been uh, uh, classified as the benevolent dictator. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm the decision maker. Well, you have to be. But as a decision maker, I listen to my key people. I mean, right. I my when my stadium guy tells me something has to be this way or that way, then I do it. When my right. timers tell me that, when my start line guy tells me that, certainly when my medical people tell me. Um, so I make the decisions, but it's always with the consultation of the people that I work with. Yeah. And then when somebody says, you know, this this is just a lot of work. You know, for this particular uh, job, 
Well, then I go out and I, I double up. I, I have two people in charge of that job. Okay. And, and, or maybe, you know, for my registration, I've now got uh, four really good staff members that handle registration, uh, racer serv- um, uh, athlete services for uh, bid pickup for the two events, you know, okay. because cause it's, it's a lot of physical handling stuff, you know, and then, and then not only do I divide up the, the management part of it, but also get them, you know, hey, I don't want you climbing on that ladder or picking up those boxes and loading those trucks. You tell me what you need and I'll get you some help. Right, exactly. So, so those type of things is, is what I pick up off of the critiques because, you know, your critiques could um, uh, tip off to you that something's amiss. There's a little dissatisfaction here, maybe a little dysfunction. So you, you'd be well advised to, um, uh, to dial that in. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I, I go through and I highlight the critiques when I read them, yeah. you know, how about racers? How do you deal with the feedback from racers? Cause you get, mm-hmm. you know, you get a good chunk of, of really good feedback from a lot of people right. that you trust, right. right. With racer wise, you know, that you can trust those people, right. but then you get a good chunk that for whatever reason, maybe they're having a bad day, a bad week, a bad month. And you're the mirror, like right. you're, you're standing in front, you just happen to be in front of them for that experience right. and they take it out on you. Yep. How do you distinguish between those? You've been doing this a long time. Yep. And you've probably had some pretty mad, angry people over some things that not too many. Well, you've done well. <laughs> you've had some people. How do you? Yeah. How do you know what to just kind of let roll off your shoulders? And how? What do you know? How to? How do you know what to take into account? Right. As like a real. Yeah. Well, you know, I've kept a track of how many people we've rolled through here, and so it's in the it's. 60 or 70,000 people over the years, you okay. know, quite, quite a few, uh, applications, you mm-hmm. know, and, and racers. And, um, I could probably count on maybe my feet and my hands, uh, the number of really negative pointed things that have been directed towards me. Right. And like that's more a cre- personal things. Like well, you, no, no, or basically no, it's never, just it's a never bad personal. Time. Some, something happened, something, okay. something okay. happened. Okay. And, um, uh, yeah, it's never directed at me personally, but, but it's like, well, why don't you do this? And, you know, and what you have to do is, is, uh, obviously read it, reflect on it. And then you have to step back. You have to just step back and look at the big picture and, you know, it takes a little self-control. You never want to respond to that uh, immediately. Or maybe you want to write the response and then you want to let it sit. Right. And then and then I'd have Trish in the office. I said, Trish, take, take a, a look at this. Yeah. And, and Trish would say, well, I don't know if I'd say it that way. And and so then you, so you try not to take it personally and then really look at what the criticism is and then and then you consult with the people that that you're involved with. Is is this a situation that we have to change? And in some cases you change it, in other cases you don't. Uh, sometimes you can't change it. Um, I'll give you a pretty good example of that. So one of the one of the dicey things we have in the event: two thousand people in the Schwamigan Forty. We roll it out on the pavement for two miles, right? Which can be. Not just dicey; it can be it's, scary for some uh, people. It's been likened to the running of the bulls. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, so. Um, um, oh. Um, oh, we're on we're on location here. UPS guys here, yeah. so we're uh, yeah. That's Mike, the UPS guy. I don't yeah. know what he's bringing me, but he's bringing me something. Yeah, no, that's a good thing about on location. Yeah, like I, I we don't do this a lot, and once I once I do move here, I'll be doing a lot more on location. So oh yeah, it's cool to. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this because it's it's great to to get this insight. So what did you get? Something fun? 
Well, right, here, so here, here, what's the exact race director fashion? Yeah. Something needed to happen, and he pointed at me and out the door. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, here's um, um, uh, a sidebar on the UPS right, guy. Right. Okay. So if I'm not here, yeah, uh, he throws it in the back of my truck. <laughs> you <know? laughs> there you go. You know, when you get something chipped, then they go, "Well, your address isn't coming up," and I go, "Trust me, just write that down, right. or write this down." Uh, uh, gray Toyota in the parking lot. You yeah. know, I'll, I'll get it. Yeah. So uh, start line rollout. So not many, but we've had some injuries, some crashes yeah, that have happens. happened. And I'm not in the rollout, so I, I have to listen to people. So I on I think on three occasions now, I've, I've interviewed, you know, top 20 or 25 riders about the rollout, what their experience is and what their perspective is on how we do the rollout. And what would be some solutions to because uh, because really your focus always hundred percent numero uno safety of the riders that's the first thing whether it's weather or procedures or whatever you're doing it's got to be with the safety of the riders in, involved so you interview people and you say well how would you do this differently I mean if you consider what the logistics are, where our start line is, you know, if you value that, if you value that photo op of the mass start mm-hmm. and, uh, um, which is pretty cool. It's pretty damn I mean, cool. Just looking behind you on that. What year is that picture on the wall right oh, there? Boy, I don't know. It's a few years ago. I look at, uh, that's Mike Cooper on the quad cycle. So he hasn't yeah. ridden the quad for 20 some yeah. years. But so if you value that, uh, mass start rollout, uh, how do you do that and then get everybody safely to Rosie's field? Because usually once you get to Rosie's, everything's okay, mm-hmm. you know. So you look at it and, well, it'd be better if you had a, you know, if you had a two-mile climb right at the start. Well, until the next glacier comes in, I'm gonna, not going to have yeah, a right. two-mile start. Exactly. You know, short and fat, I've got, I've got a, a couple-mile climb in the short and fat. That thins things out in a hurry. Yeah. So can I, can I tweak the this rollout speed, you know, and um, – so, so you, you interview and then you discover, well, you know, somebody might have got in a bad situation. You can't always control who you're riding next to. Uh, there's different levels of experience. City services, I can't have two starts where I let the top 100 go and then I come back and get everybody else. I, yeah. can't, I can't do that. So, right. so a lot of the solutions you can't implement, so you try to just tweak it as best you can. Okay. And, and you try to educate people in, in, into proper pack riding, you know, because yeah. it's the people that don't know what they're doing that cause the problems. Right. And I'm sorry, I don't know who those people are, you know. You yeah. know and they may not be the ones laying on the pavement, you know, yeah. so – uh, the other thing is that you make sure. Well, if you have a if you have a situation that uh, is higher risk, that's why your medical team's there. Yep. You know, you got instant response and and good medical community. So, we uh, for sixty some thousand people, you know, we've only launched the helicopter a few times. So, that's that's pretty good. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm okay with that. Has the course been the same the whole time? Like to uh, roll out and you know to Rosie's Field and then go north on the. Well, on the trail. we used to uh, uh, back in the day when there was not too many people. How the heck did we get on the railroad grade? There's an abandoned railroad grade from Hayward going north, and so we actually rolled it from the first hundred block of Main Street, uh, and boy, we only made a couple of turns and we jumped on the railroad grade, which is only what. 12 feet wide or something yeah, like that. Right, and, right. Then, and then we're going across uh, 
old rickety bridge that barely had a deck on it, you know, to get, to get to the forest (laughs) road or wherever we're going. Mm -hmm. So all of those things have changed to, to accommodate the numbers, you know, um, we've had a fairly similar course. Uh, we do change the course, uh, based on the weather. There's parts, I have to get out of town on, uh, from Rosie's field on the Berkey trail, you know, so I, I have to, it's the only way I can get out of town. There's, we've looked at every other option. Right. And, um, but there's places that I don't have to get back on the Berkey trail. I can, we've had this, you know, we talked the other day about the gravel roads. Right. And so when the weather's bad, you get it off the Berkey trail and you put it over on the gravel road and, and we go out and look at it. And I talked to the Berkey trail boss people. And, you know, last year, for instance, we had a section of trail that had just gotten hammered with rain and, and things were not looking. I said, I'll just I'll move it over to the forest road. We'll yeah. just let that section rest, and and yeah. maybe that'll be a permanent change, because um, it's important that uh, sustainability that uh, sustainability of the trails that's yeah. that's a huge thing, you know. And we contribute quite substantially to that yeah. as well, you know. And it wasn't just rain; it was like a rain. thousand year flood. Oh yeah, it was rain, <laughs> rain, and. Uh, super blowdown yeah big big major blowdown and things just got saturated mm-hmm. i mean the ground can only hold so much yeah, water right and uh, i mean i mean literally some holes and i tell you you learn a lot about trail building mm-hmm. when you go through a really wet year and you see where water's standing and you look around you and you see well no wonder water's standing here because it's coming down from four sides down to this hole right and that hole has been capped off with the with the the silt with the fines mm-hmm. and the water's not going anywhere right. it's not going anywhere you, you literally can have a pontoon in there if mm-hmm. you could get one out and transport people across it yeah well when you, if you shoulda, coulda, woulda, if you could rebuild it and avoid that spot, you would, you know. And now what we know about uh, trail development, I mean, you look at the Canva single tracks. I mean, those things are fairly mom-proof because of the way they're built. I'll tell you what, they dry out pretty quickly, that's for sure. They certainly do. Well, it comes yep. to part of the dirt is dries out, but they built, like, it's pretty good. Well, everything's everything's outsloped, and yeah. and um, uh, you're you're always going with the topo lines in case against it, because because you know typically early trail building was uh, fall line construction, which if you're <laughs> right. just skiing so, on it, that's okay. It's fine. Yeah. But if if you're hiking, biking, running your ATVs, running your mountain yeah. bikes on it, every time you take a step, there's more stuff going down with you. Fall line construction is not a good thing. So how do you go in and impact that? And and we've boy over the years we've been involved with. Uh, Financially and, and uh, physical labor wise, have been involved with many uh, trail restoration rerouting projects, and happy to do that. It's part of what we do. Yeah. So all those races, what do you have a memorable year? Like you were talking about ninety ninety one when Lamont was here. Do you have any other ones that stick out? Any years that stick out to you? Well, ninety ninety one when Lamont was here, but also uh, because of the 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 the, the rain, the, mm-hmm. the torrential rains. Uh, certainly two thousand seven. Uh, our 25th anniversary, uh, Jesse Lalonde wins it on a single speed. And when Jesse came into the stadium area, in the, there was about a group of seven bikes that came into the stadium area. And get this. And this this is kind of the great equalizer of the Shawamigan course. Say mm-hmm. what you will about the course. There, a single speed won it. Uh, there, there was a cross bike in the stadium coming into the finish line. Uh, 26 inch bikes, 29 inch bikes. There was a mixed tandem. I mean, oh, who are the mixed tandem? Uh, uh, the Eppens, yeah, the Eppens from Iowa. Yeah, yeah. So 
literally well and at the time there were no fat bikes so no, right. so literally every classification you had had the potential to win that race mm-hmm. on on that day they all came in together yeah. and i'm thinking wow how, how do you develop a course where a mixed tandem and a single speed can keep right. up with a guy on a you know on a, on a rigid 29er and it uh, it's quite interesting so yeah. whether that would ever happen again i don't know you know, Jesse tough. wanted it that year. So, yeah. so that was that was that certainly was a, a rigid single speed steel single speed. Yeah, Gary Fisher. Yeah. yeah. So that 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 was that was quite memorable. Um, you know, back in the early years, uh, uh, what well, not that early, but uh, Steve Tilford went in it three years in a row. I mean, oh, two, he won three years in a three row. Three years in a row. He oh. was the first guy to three peat. Okay. Yeah. So that he was quite. Does he have a place up here somewhere? He does not, but he no, he he hangs out with my buddy Dennis every time he comes up. So they, okay. actually, my buddy Dennis in his rambling uh, uh, cabin that he's got his <laughs> okay. his garage is actually called the Kansas Garage because okay. uh, 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 Stephen and, and um, uh, his buddy Bill Stolte and Catherine Wahlberg and her husband come up and and so everybody from Kansas stays in that okay. garage. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, Tilford won in, winning three times. Uh, Jeff Hall, Jeff Hall winning. He won the forty uh, uh, two years ago, and he had won it twenty years yeah, prior. I was say, yeah, he'd yeah. won it twenty years prior, yep. and in between that time, he had gotten married and raised a family, and yeah. and then boom, all of a sudden, and then he he wins it again. That that that's a great story. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, you know, certainly our some of our women champions have been just super great. Jenna Jenna Reinhardt and she's still mixing up everywhere. Jenna she's is a strong, uh, Jenna, especially in these type of races. Jenna is not so much right now. She broke her leg. Oh, really? Yeah, when she did broke that her uh, not too long ago. I just okay. I just saw. See, you're in the know. I don't. Uh, yeah, I'm out of the, the Midwest. Well, you got to get on that Facebook, buddy. You got to get on that Facebook. You know. I just saw Jenna on a trainer for the first time, and and we look forward to Jenna coming back. You know, the one time uh, Cindy Bijou, um, uh, one of our local uh, writers, uh, won the forty. She's uh, chasing Catherine Wahlberg, who's won the event several times. Okay, and um, they're they're coming in on the backside of the 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 hill and you basically come in on the telemarks heat trail system and there's one kind of last climb where you come up and you can actually um hear smell the brats hear the music kind of one less little last downhill okay. shot and uh this is cindy's picture up on the top here okay, look at those bars so look how skinny those bars are there's another picture of cindy and she's got her uh finger up to her lips going like shh oh don't because the people on top of the hill Catherine had just crested this hill okay and they're shouting at cindy and and cindy goes don't tell her don't tell her she comes over this hill and goes blown by Wahlberg and ends up winning the event (laughs) you know um cindy storm uh winning the short and fat 10 times you know 10 10 times so well, short and fat. Can you explain to people what that is? So because short and fat. Be familiar. Well, there's long races and short races. Yep. So Joamigan forty limited to two thousand riders, twenty one hundred. Uh, it's forty miles long. Short and fat, which I, I'll take credit for that great title. You know, um, uh, starts in cable. So they're simultaneous starts, and the short and fat's only sixteen miles. Mm-hmm. So it's a it's a sprint. 
I mean, it's a, it's a, for the, for the winners, it's well under an hour. You know, mm-hmm. I think our record time is probably 49 minutes, you know, oh, okay. but it's right, right around 50 minutes. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're flying mm-hmm. and you can win it on it. It's been one on a cross bike, you know, it depends okay. on the conditions. And, um, Cindy Storm, she's, she, she's a sprinter. She's not a long distance rider yeah. and she won it 10 times, wow. you know, so She's actually our, our most champion of champions, yeah. you know, so a lot of great stories. Absolutely. You know? I want to fast forward yeah. to uh, somewhat, uh, as you ex- as you explained it, people got a little excited uh, when you, when Lifetime, when you, uh, can you talk about what you sold the life, sold yeah. the race to Lifetime? Yeah, oh, sure. Yeah. Um, because what happens, this happens all the time, you know, like a business will sell to another business and people freak out. Yeah. And they get all worried that things are going to change and all this stuff happens. Um, so people got all up in arms, like lifetime was a devil. Things are going to be totally yeah. different. Yeah. How did you – okay, first of all, going into it, it's a big decision. I mean, that's a that's a big deal. How do you go into that thinking, okay, how do I make this – how do I make sure that everything I've built over this time keeps going the way I want to – I would like to see it go? That's a real good question. You know, so – so you take the, uh, you know, the originators of the event, there were uh, six, uh, well, five of us plus me the second mm-hmm. year, but we uh, we incorporated and we each held 100 shares. Okay. Uh, not that that ever meant anything. No, but, but it was but we had something. To, yeah, we had to do something. Right, yeah. right. So, so, and it was good we did that because at the time that we came to divest ourselves of the event, it was good to know who had what share. Exactly. Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, that could have been a really tricky situation to, to resolve. Especially so, with people you know, like, well... Yeah. Well, and, and as it turns out, we're all great friends and always will be. So, um, lifetime had actually, uh, been a sponsor, uh, of the event, uh, had it, had it certainly had a, a presence team presence in the event. So I knew who they were. I, I wasn't that familiar with them. Um, but they'd approached us a couple of times about, uh, uh, buying the event because they were expanding their events portfolio. I mean, quickly at that point, I think at that time, pretty, very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. They, they had some pretty quick acquisitions, uh, some of which they've divested themselves of since then. But, um, for instance, Leadville, I mean, they, mm-hmm. they purchased Leadville, uh, the Leadville series mm-hmm. and, um, we, we were just not ready to sell. And, uh, you know, all of the people that were involved with it, I mean, we're all uh, of retirement age. Not that that means anything because <laughs> you're more experienced. I, I don't, mm-hmm. who's retired in our group? I don't think anybody's retired in our group. You know, okay. we're all, we're all still working, but we knew there had to be a transition of some sort. Would, would we hang on to the event and then, and then have oversight by hiring a, uh, an event manager and going down that way? Uh, the general consensus from, um, uh, the people that owned the event was, you know, we should probably consider uh, selling the event. And um, so we did. So Lifetime approached us and, and we worked with the theory the best the best time to sell something is when somebody wants to buy it. And uh, it actually worked out uh, pretty well for us. You know, and I, I always point out to people because they always say, oh, wow, you, you really made a killing on that when you sold it to Lifetime. I, I, I tried to remind them that whatever it was, it was divided by six, you know, because it, cause it and was. And divided by 30 or 25 <laughs> years or whatever, right? So, um, but, you know, we, and the thing that, that, the thing that convinced me, because I, I you know, my, 
consulting group. We always talked about things and fairly voted on things. Right. But but uh, the guys uh, uh, put a lot of faith in me because I'm just absolutely at the forefront and uh, the face of it. Um, you know, I call I cold called uh, Ken Clover from yep. uh, from Leadville, yep. and uh, I said, "You pick up a phone right away." Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he picked up the phone and we talked. Yeah. I mean, it didn't take long for us to identify who each other was yeah, right. and, and realize that we had similar situations. And I, yeah. and I said, how'd that all work out for you? And, and Ken couldn't have been more complimentary about it. Gotcha. And that was the thing for me that, uh, that kind of, because uh, you don't know. I mean, you're going into the great unknown. And, and yeah. I didn't even have, I don't think any of us had a concept of how, actually how large Lifetime was, or even what the general uh, feeling was about Lifetime. But uh, uh, Ken said he was very happy that they, that they you know, kept a lot of the um, same qualities of, of the, the Leadville event. And certainly he's still involved. And, and uh, I said, well, that's great. And um, so we, we had conversation with him and we decided to sell the event and, in I think it was uh, 20, uh, 2012, August of 2012 is when we transitioned it. And, of course, people were, yeah, they were pretty excited about that because they, they thought, you know, now what's going to go on? Yeah. And, um, you know, really the perspective until 2012, we only had one price increase. You know, we, 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 and, and I'd always been really conservative in when I did my budget. I mean, I'd, I'd always budgeted to make a profit, but in my, in my cohorts always wanted me to raise the price higher than I did. They always <laughs> did. And I always talked them out of it. Yeah. So we had one price increase. We raised it by uh, 10 bucks. Of course, there were additional fees because we went to online. Right. Well, that was a freaking huge improvement. I mean, mm-hmm. we did, you know, write us a check. You know, we did this manual lottery, which was a ton of fun. The lot, the lottery party was always okay. fun. But Trish would punch everything in, and we'd take the big stack of checks over to the bank. And so we went, you know, that was a great improvement because they actually had the wherewithal to do it all. You just to get some money. To you just shows up with one check or in the bank or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So, so there were some processing fees. So, so, uh, but that's been the only fee increase we had. We raised the limit, uh, but not by an unreasonable amount. We went from twenty-seven fifty to thirty-one hundred, and that's still a pretty doable number. And um, you know, and when we raised the fees, I'd never given a T-shirt away in the event. So, mm-hmm. so we gave a T-shirt away, which has a perceived value of of probably twice what the ten dollar increase was. Yeah. Nobody seemed to notice that, but, but oh yeah, when they you know when you get focused on something exciting, you know. But I always excited. we we gave away lapel pins that didn't that, that uh, my wife Sarah designed, and we did that for years, and so well that's great. Now we're giving away t-shirts we're also they get free photos i mean you used to have to buy your photos i right. mean you could spend 30 40 bucks buying your photos they're free yeah and and you know another great improvement that they came up with and this was not something i think i would have ever certainly this is something that you know writers had suggested is having a wave start i had like a preferred gate one one gate 100 people in it and everybody else, well, it was crazy at the start line. People would show up at 3 o'clock in the morning, line yep. their bikes up. Yep. Well, then like we sitting went, upside down, all lined up. Yeah, then we went to uh, this gate system that they had dialed in at uh, Leadville because they had a similar uh, type uh, start situation. So, so we did get the corporate identity, but I run the race exactly like I've always run the race. 
Um, I, I, I may not be a hundred percent the decider, but I'm probably 97% the decider. Right. So that's not a lot of loss. Um, um, we've had some great improvements in the event and we feel we have a solution, uh, to the ownership of the event that will help sustain the event because lifetime right. has many more resources than, than, than I have locally. Yeah. I mean, just, just the, the talent they've got in their marketing departments and their, uh, athlete services and and uh, the whole online stuff they're pretty vertically integrated so it's all yeah. all pretty well dialed so people got a little excited when when we sold the event see you you say a little excited but you're just you're you're really even keel about it yeah how do you do that when people are yelling you know like you see facebook <laughs> comments or <Yeah>. emails <laughs> How do you look at that and say, well, you know, I, I expected you, – you had to expect it. You know, I had to expect some excitement. Oh, How do you deal with that? How do you just yeah, kind of go home at night and say, okay, it's all good. It'll be fine. Well, here's – I'll tell you one of the things that uh, probably helped with all of that. How long did it take when you emailed me that you were coming over today to get a response? Oh, you – Like about two minutes? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like 12 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anytime anybody emails the event, like if they just go to the, uh, you know, uh, contact us, well, people are totally surprised that I give them a reply. Oh, I never thought I'd get you. Right. Well, Even if you send them an email a month. So I've, yeah. I've been pretty busy the last – I owe people more than what I've given them in response. Yeah. But even when I do respond – everybody's always surprised that you took the time to respond to them. I always do. I always have. And yeah. and so anytime anything would come in, I mean, I tell me something I haven't heard. I've done <laughs> Or this, you didn't expect yourself? Yeah. Like I, out of yourself? Yeah. It, it's very odd that somebody could come up with something. Uh, uh, I mean, I mean, I've heard about, you know, why it's so expensive. You know, a buddy of mine the other day uh, registered himself for the short and fat. And uh, he said, boy, that's really... That's really expensive for a short race. And my response to Matt was, Matt, you know that big tent I pitch? It costs me the same whether you ride 16 miles or 40 miles. Right. You know, the band, it's the same band. Whatever you ride, mm -hmm. it costs me the same. I said, here's the deal. You can ride a second lap at no extra charge. You know, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I think a lot of it is I, I, I honestly answer people. I reflect on what they say. Um, Sometimes they got a beef, and you know if they got a beef and 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 it, it merits an apology, I apologize. I've never I've never hesitated at that. Now, if somebody's just going to go freaking flaming off, yeah, I'm an old school guy. I mean, I come from from event direction when you hand wrote letters, right? You know, when you sent in postcards, um, and we manually <laughs> typed postcard? a response. <laughs> yeah, what's a postcard? I, I, if people just flame off at me, that's yeah. that's just part and partial of what happens with the with social media responses. Now, I, right. I just I just don't even get caught up in that. I right, mean, exactly. I'm, I was yeah. just curious, cause, yeah, because a lot of people go through that, and a lot of people have um, have been on you know the customer of a company changing hands or being purchased or whatever, and the first reaction is always to 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 get excited. Oh, sure. And yeah. I'm just trying to. Yeah, get that across that yeah. you know. In your case, you were able to just keep doing what you wanted to see be done. I, I I've had people get excited at me, but again, <laughs> tell me something I haven't heard right. before. I've answered right. this question before. I'm I'm happy to answer it. And if you if you come back with you know three or four just snarly responses, I'll volley with you for a while in 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 as congenial a way as I can. But if you get out of line, 
we're done. Right. We're done. I mean, that, that'll happen occasionally at bid pickup, you know, where somebody will come and, and uh, you know, I don't have my ID. You got your checkbook? You know, I mean, I, I need yeah. to know it's you because I'm not letting you pick up somebody else's number because we don't do that because it, it doesn't work for our system that way. Right. And and people can get to a point, and if they get out of hand, we're done. I, right. I, I've got, you know, 3,100 other people they're having a great time, and right. you're having a bad time. Right, right. Uh, maybe you chose the wrong event. Right, you know? exactly. Yeah. yeah. What's your uh, What's your favorite part of all of this so far? Like, if you were, if I were to, okay, you only get three favorite things of yep. doing. Like, maybe it's this race, maybe it's the race area, the people you've worked with. But what is like one or two of those things that you would say when you look back and say, "Man, I was, I'm really proud of that. I'm really happy with that." What would those couple things be? Well, um, certainly one of the first ones would be our long history of supporting um, the the trails up here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am so proud of, uh, and it's not just me because it's it's uh, some of it is money from entry fees, but it's also other people's contributions, right. and it's the fact that track matches a sizable portion of those contributions. But somebody has to be the lead of that. Like you're the you're the funnel where. That kind of brings everybody together. Well, came up with the idea of how about we have a checkoff box and you donate something right. to the trails. Yep. And then when we went to the lottery and we had the lottery, it was a $5 application fee. We gave all those $5 bills away. When we got rid of the lottery, we we still gave away $5 per entry. Right. So I'm really proud of that because my grandchildren and my grandchildren's children are going to ride uh, – the the Canva trails. Mm-hmm. Very proud of that because it's it's it, we're a small community. We've really together done something really good for the economic benefit of the community. So that's that's super good. Another thing that I I'm just like in probably that I like the best, maybe not most proudest of, but <laughs> one of the one of the just really feel good moments every year. Mm-hmm is at five o'clock when we open up big pickup on Friday because they're all standing out there. We all got it set and we open it up and a lot of energy. Now we're rolling. Yeah. And, and, and I'm not done working. I'm going to, I'm going to work really hard for the next 30 hours, but it's a culmination of a year's plus preparation and people come in and I get hugs from people and I shake a lot of people's hands and I see people come in with their kids and I see several yeah, generations. Just, yeah. People have raced before and now they come yeah. in with their kids. Yeah. yeah. Several generations, mm-hmm. you know, Jay Richards, uh, from, uh, he has, like, Maple Lock. kids, isn't he? Maple Four Lock. Kids. Hey, he's got a few kids. Yeah. yeah. So They're all good too. So Jay, uh, Jay won the short and fat okay. one year and his son, Jake won it three times. Yeah. I mean that that's another that's cool. story. That's yeah. another story. That the, yeah. how many events have that that happened? And I'm guessing Jeff Hall's yeah. one of Jeff Hall's kids is going to win the 40 some year. So just having all that feedback from people when they come and uh you know sure there's a few people that want to rattle your your chain but holy mackerel there's thousands of people that really enjoy coming up here and enjoy this area and we enjoy this area so much living up here. We're so fortunate to be up here and be able to make a living. And recreate like we do, and have all of these frequent flyers come up and enjoy the event. Mm-hmm. That's super cool. Yeah. And 
similar to that, one of the other really cool things, and and, and uh, we watched this the other day, is um, whenever I'm kind of down on what I'm doing or getting tired of what I'm doing, I play that rollout video of the Shawamigan 40. Oh, the Trail Genius one? Yeah, the yeah. Trail Genius one. My buddies, uh, Jason Manders, and uh, who's been coming to the event since he was in diapers. <laughs> Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure he hears that part of it. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. No, literally since he was no, in I diapers. Know, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and actually, actually, his it. dad is probably going to be in diapers pretty soon. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'll which, make sure Jason shares that with his dad. Which is, oh, Gramson, he'd get a kick out of it. Yeah. Um, but I watch that, and I think, holy mackerel, this is much bigger than you know just me sitting in the office firing off emails. I mean, mm-hmm. this is a this is a major sporting event. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of great sporting events. We have a lot of great sporting mm-hmm. events up here. But just to see that impact and uh, and all the people that enjoy it. I mean, people along the trail will come out. I mean, I mean they build their lives around that. You know, I, we've oh. met several already that have built their careers and their lives up here based around either that race or the Berkey, the ski Berkey or. Well, um, built it around people that come up to this mm-hmm. area. If we don't bring people up to this area, this is, yeah. it's a pretty quiet You've probably town. by yourself with the race, well, yourself and your crew have probably had a hand in a hundred different cabins that are around a thousand different cabins. That's that a huge right impact. Here. Yeah. We had talked about that the other day. The impact is not how many cars are parked at the bar. It's a real estate. Taxes. It's a, it's real estate <laughs> and real estate taxes and all and the home improvements and the, you know, just the life. build the builders that are busy, mm-hmm. the builders that are busy, you know, and, and they're nice cabins and, and people are coming up and they, and they, they want to, stake a claim up here in Shawamigan land, you know, and they got places like the river's eatery to hang out in cable or the sawmill or, you know, angry minnow down in Hayward. I mean, it's just some really good quality social gathering spots, you know, and people wonder what, geez, if I move up there, what do I do? Holy mackerel. You get so involved with all these events and the recreation and the social things we do. So it's very good. Yeah. 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 It's uh it's the long-term benefit to this community. I, I couldn't have anything that would be uh, more satisfying to me in my employment, my professional life, than uh, what was created, continues, and uh, is appreciated by so many people. Right. I'm not going to commit you to how many years you're sticking around yet. Yeah. But you're not going to be doing this forever. Nope. Where do you see this going you know, if you look back in ten years, somebody other person's been doing this for ten years. What do you, what do you want to see, and what do you think you'll see? Well, what I want to see, um, and this this goes back to our uh, our original concept when the, we did the event, is we wanted to ha- perpetuate the event. Whatever we did, we wanted to perpetuate the event. So that's number one goal. Just make sure number one goal, and uh, certainly selling the event to Lifetime with their resources because uh, they've got a lot more thinking going on than, you know, maybe I'm a little more closed in with uh, just... Uh, you got to give yourself a little credit. Well, I give myself for the credit that I have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for the experience that I have. Um, but I want to see the event perpetuated. So, and I'm asked, so when I, we sold it in 2012, uh, Lifetime says, and I'm on an open contract. I mean, I'm not... I, it's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll do it. And I said, <laughs> uh, I'll be around from three to five years. Well, this is five years. This is five years after we sold the event. Boy, that time flew. So my tricky part, I'll be real frank about this. So my tricky part 
to me, and people always say, oh, nobody could ever replace you. Well, no, there's a lot of really good people that can replace me. I mean, you, you, you have to be, have the organizational skills, have good communication skills. You got to be personal, personable, be able to coordinate a lot of different types of factors. Maybe not a lot of people, but there are people out there who would love to have that job. Mm-hmm. So I think finding my replacement is not the biggest challenge in, um, in the succession plan for the Shawamigan. The biggest challenge is finding replacements for all the people that manage my key areas. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I think the number last year, I've kept this length of service thing. It has about 35 people on it. Chiefs and assistants, uh, kind of the levels that I have, they've got over 800 years of experience. So do the math. A lot of people, you know, there's six people that have been with me for 34 years, including my wife. Right. <laughs> and uh, Tom Kelly, who's taking the pictures every year. He comes back from uh, Park Fall, uh, Park uh, City every year to take the pictures. And, and uh, another group of people have been with me for 30 years, my medical people and my food stop guy. My food stop guy who's managed my food stops for over 30 years has been to one meeting in those 30 years, you know, and, and uh, um, other people have been with me for 20 years and 15 years. Quite a few of them said that when I go, they're, they're going to go. So um, I, I've tasked them with finding their replacements because I need to find some younger people. And that's a, that's a real interesting um, uh, dynamic up here is a lot of young people leave the area because of the uh, uh, challenge of gainful employment, mm-hmm. you know, so they, the kids move out, yep. they go to the cities, they mm-hmm. go to Duluth, they go right. down to Eau Claire, they go to Madison, they go to Milwaukee. Um, so, you know, every time, uh, uh, you know, I've got two, two 30 year olds on my staff. Okay. Only two. You know, <laughs> out of how many total? <laughs> out, of, out of like a key staff of some thirty some people. There well, we go. were we were all thirty when we started. Right, exactly. Yeah. So so finding all of those replacements. Uh, one of the good things is I I pay my key staff. So it's yeah. again it works out to about ten bucks an hour for the weekend, but it's better than volunteering. Right. And uh, plus whatever swag you get and you know uh, food and beverage. Ah, the food and beverage that always helps. Um. <laughs> So it's finding all of those people to 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 fill in that race staff. Now I know Lifetime can bring a number of people, but you got to have your people on the ground that know know the they guy. They have to know the the area. You got to know the area. Yeah, yeah. My volunteer groups, they 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 all love me. They're not going away when I go away. They they love volunteering. I mean, mm-hmm. you get a couple hundred bucks. I mean, that's better and easier than running a bake sale. Yeah, you know. Oh, absolutely. So, um, so that's that's the challenge in in that transition. So in ten years, I'd be real happy if the event's still around because uh, I won't be around for ten years. I mean, I'm sixty six now, and and uh, I could actually spend um, a lot more time helping my wife with her artwork. I mean, yeah. she's a spectacular sculptor, and I get to work with tools and yeah. buy her tools for gift giving occasions and yeah. Okay, here Matt's finally chiming in here. So I've been trying to sit quietly and, and not butt in too much, but the question that I want to ask Gary is, do you see yourself leaving as race director? Um, not abruptly, or uh, let me finish the question maybe. Do you see yourself working hand-in-hand with your replacement? That way a seamless transition goes, and you leave a legacy of a race in hands you trust. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I don't see me punching out one day and not coming back. Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm more than willing to share everything I know. And, and one of my tasks is to quant- quantify it all, get my spreadsheets together, get my playbook together. And I, I've been working on that for the last 10 years. I mean, where, where somebody could just pick up these things and look at, here's all your permissions yeah. and when you do them and who you do them with. But yeah, I would work with somebody, I would think for a couple of years. And, um, of course the standard joke around here, when I, when I volunteer for all these other events, I, I tend to be the parking guy. So, <laughs> cause the parking guy, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that goes into the parking guy though. You need to know. Yeah. You got to have a crew you gotta, and you got to put them in line and, but the parking guy is done after the cars are parked. Right. <laughs> you know, and I, so you could actually be the parking guy and then you could actually go do the event that you're parking cars for, or you could watch the event. So the joke around here is I want to retire and be the parking guy. Yeah. Although I got some really good parking guys that I think could stick with me. I'll, I'll tell you what the thing you is know? with the parking guy, you can, you can stick one of your new volunteers out there and you get a pretty good idea how they handle organization because it can either be a, total disaster or oh, yeah. it's lined up perfectly yeah right yeah so you find out pretty quickly some uh, especially when you bring in a lot of people to a small urban area that doesn't have a lot of parking infrastructure yeah. i could see you the know? problem with you being the parking guy is there would be five cars in a lot and a hundred in line because you're talking to every person <laughs> that goes through <laughs> actually that's one of the keys you got to keep them moving yeah. you can't you can't stack them up yeah so another question yeah, so I, I would I would see myself working with somebody for a few years. Yeah, I would definitely not totally drop out, and I'd be, I'd be, I'd be on call. Actually, I have this idea of of let's say I pass, then then somehow my brain is in the saline solution with some things plugged in. You could type a question, but right. that may be a little futuristic. But if that if that happens, if that happens, I might I might be here in the office for a long time. And I don't know if this is something you've thought about or something that you've even considered, but I, if you haven't, I hope you do. The first year that you're not director, I think you should race. Because you, yeah. you came in on the first year before you were the director as a participant, and I think on the first year out, you should be a participant. I think that would be a good way to bookend your legacy here. I'm, I'm down. I'm 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 ready. I well, do it. Although here's the deal: if you do that, I'm going to be riding right next to you. Yeah, but gotta, that, that'll be a whole posse following you around because that'd be something. Yeah, but here's the deal: uh, uh, two ways that can happen. One, I know every damn shortcut out there, so not not that I would you know uh, cheat to win any prizes, but by the time I do it, you know, so let's say I'm in my late sixties, there are no easy age classes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Doesn't yeah, matter. no, I, I, I'd certainly, I'd certainly welcome that, and and actually, that would be good for me to um, uh, continue my healthy way of life, which is, you know, lifetime the healthy way of life company, and and every year on my annual review, it's it's always like, you know, I could be doing a little more on my healthy way of life, you know, yeah. and yeah, it'd be it'd be a ton of fun to write it. I'd certainly write it uh, as a recreational writer and and just enjoy the experience. Thanks, thanks for that tip. I'm, I'm down. Hold me <laughs> th- to that. It, if you're okay with finishing last, I think that'd be cool because everybody, you know, what would happen is everybody would be standing there waiting. All those, oh yeah, twenty years. Brian Motter, who's raced it every year for the last twenty years, and Jeff Hall, who's got his kids, has won it two years. You know, all those guys would be standing there waiting for you. See, but I that be, would be that would be worth attendance I'd, right there. I'd be uh, competing uh, against uh, my buddy Jerry Cash, who's from Indianapolis. <laughs> okay. And, Battling for last place. Well, Jerry's on the Stone Saddle uh, Award, which is over there. He's he's the only other three-time winner. Uh, the first three-time winner was Bob Pendleton, who okay. in the early years, 
and Bob was just uh, so con- congenial that he 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 certainly could complete it faster, but he always liked to talk to people. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Jerry calls me up every once in a while, and he says, "I got cleared. I got cleared by my cardiologist to ride the forty again this year, and uh, so he's taken last uh, uh, three times. And look this one up. He rides a slingshot. Oh, really? Yeah, Jeez. yeah. I mean, how many of those did you see show up at an event? So, yeah, yeah. I, I actually, I'd have fun riding with him. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Yeah, I'd be well, on the last page someplace, but not not <laughs> yeah. not, not DFL. That's fine. <laughs> so, Gary, I uh, I really appreciate the time. Uh, I oh, think, it's been I great. Think the listeners yeah. are gonna really enjoy this. Yeah, Thank thanks. You. We can always do a follow up if you oh, want. Oh, we are. Know. So we'll be moving up here in uh, probably May time. I'm pretty and excited I, and, about that. And I might be bugging you quite a bit to get uh, on here because this amount of stories. I think we could fill five, ten hours of. There's a few stories there. (laughs) A lot of it comes out as I've been looking at these old uh, photos, and it's really, really fun. Long, long term, you know. Well, if you come up in May, you want to try to get here in time to do the Bora Epic. Maybe not. Right now, I can't commit to anything at this point. Yeah, yeah. But well, uh, yeah. Just get that on your on your schedule. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. And yeah, uh, you bet. Appreciate it. Yeah, glad you glad we could connect.